On this episode of Studio 1.0, she's considered one of the most powerful women in Silicon Valley, Padmasri Warrior. Her name says it all. And in this episode, she opens up about how she rose to the top in a male-dominated industry. We go all the way back to her upbringing in India, where she was one of few women to study engineering, then came to the U.S. with two suitcases, one full of just books. Warrior started her career at Motorola three decades ago, overseeing the rise of the famous Razor flip phone. In March 2008, she became Cisco's first CTO, personally recruited by now chairman John Chambers. After seven years at Cisco, she decided to switch gears entirely and took some time off to find her next adventure. She landed at a Chinese electric car startup called Next EV, where she's not only taking on the established auto industry, but also Elon Musk, Tesla, and an increasingly crowded market of competitors from Google to Apple to Uber, all trying to break into cars themselves. Joining me today on this edition of Studio 1.0, Padmasri Warrior, Next EV's USA CEO. Padma, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. And we are in the exact same shade of yellow, <laughs> but it works. It's spring, I guess. <laughs> for those of you watching the podcast, we're wearing the same color. So um, if you can't see us, it looks okay. Um, so what is it like being a CEO for the very first time? It's a lot of fun. Um, I, I would say most of my time these days I'm spending recruiting talent. I feel like every day I have two breakfasts, two dinners, just meeting candidates. Uh, we're getting some amazing talent into our company. Um, and I would say most of the time I also spend on the strategy, thinking about what the vehicle should look like, what the product should be all about. So it's an amazing amount of fun. Now let me rephrase that question slightly. What is it like being a first-time CEO when your competitor is Elon Musk? <laughs> um, it's fun. It's still fun. I think I uh, have a lot of respect for Elon. I said this before, and Tesla. Um, I think actually, uh, you know, sometimes we give credit to an individual. It's more the whole people, you know, all of the people at Tesla who were there before, who since then left Tesla from the early days and who are still there building amazing products. I think. Um, Tesla as a company, I feel they have changed three things very profoundly for in the auto space, right? Firstly, it was the first company to prove or to establish the electric vehicle as a mainstream vehicle. Before that, before Tesla, most EVs were looked at as toy cars, mm -hmm. golf carts, city cars, and Tesla, I give them credit for making this a serious vehicle. Secondly, they drove the transition uh, for it to be a digital platform with the over-the-air software updates of the first company to do that. And third thing they did, which changed, was uh, make it a B2C company versus a B2B going through the dealers, and they fought a lot of battles for that. Do you think about Elon? Do you follow him? Does it make you want to raise your game? I don't think about Elon or Tesla. I have a Model S. Actually, now as I drive my car every day, I think about all the things that could be better in it. So I have a different perspective now. But, you know, I think it is... I am excited that there are so many companies actually looking at the EV space more. I think our vision is different from Tesla's. I think our vision is not necessarily just to build an electric car. It is really to optimize all of the experiences around it. So what can be better about the Model S? For me, um, the, the passenger experience is not optimized. It's a great car for California, for the driver. Uh, I feel a lot of the UI and the UX can be a lot mm -hmm. better. I also feel the screen is underutilized. You see a huge market that Tesla doesn't address. What does that market look like? The market we are addressing is China first, and the market is growing for EVs there at a tremendous pace. Uh, 
basically driven by, I think, multiple factors. Obviously, the incentives the government's giving, but beyond the incentives, just the there's more consumer buying power looking at buying automobiles now. And family sizes are, is getting bigger because they've gone away from the one-child policy. So um, just to give some background, Next EV, the founder, William Lee, his he's pledged to build an electric supercar mm -hmm. of sorts and to launch first in China and then here in the United States. And that's... So the supercar, I mean, our supercar is different. We'll unveil it at the end of this year. In addition to that, we're looking at uh, mass market vehicles uh, for China. Um, and that'll be in, in the market soon after. When will we see next EVs in the United States? <laughs> Stay tuned next time. <laughs> okay. Um, so you are on lists of the most powerful women in the world, and certainly the most powerful women in technology. When you were looking for your next gig after you left Cisco, I know you had options. You had venture capitalists knocking on your door. You were uh, talked to for the Twitter CEO job. So I'd love to know a little bit more about your process, what you explored, and um, how you ended up with NextEV. So when I left Cisco, I left, um, you know, I wasn't leaving Cisco. I was actually looking for the next adventure. So my focus was not necessarily to get away from Cisco, but to uh, run to something that was exciting. Um, and the reason I wanted to leave Cisco in order to look for that is I feel there are times in the technology industry life cycle where big changes happen. And I feel like right now is one of those times. And I wanted to be at the beginning of a massive change versus be uh, in the middle of the change. And uh, yeah, I was interested in the transportation auto vertical and I was interested in the education vertical. I feel like both of these industries haven't gone through any change. And um, yeah, I met William and over breakfast we were talking about how the auto industry has a huge potential for change. And I got super excited by his vision because it's very much aligned in my thinking. And uh, I joined uh, I joined Next TV. What attracted you to him? First of all, he's a serial entrepreneur. This is the third startup he's doing. Uh, and he's a consumer internet entrepreneur. And so he really understands the pace at which consumer internet companies and internet companies move. He has a deep understanding of the automobile marketplace and the industry in China. Um, and he really believes in building a global company that's deeply rooted in core values. And so all of these things are very similar to my aspirations and what I want to do. I want to build a global company. I've always considered myself to be a global citizen. Uh, I also believe the companies that succeed are those that have deep values and, and a great culture. I'm very passionate about creating that. Um, so there's a lot of similarities in my thinking and my vision. I want to talk a little bit more about you and how you got here. You grew up in southern India. Tell me about your upbringing. <laughs> I uh, grew up in a small town in southern India. Uh, it's now probably a big town. This is years ago. Um, my uh, father was a lawyer, and uh, my mom was a math major, but she stayed home to take care of us. I was always interested in math and science growing up. Um, I would say maybe I was a, a curious, troublemaking, precocious child growing up. I would do all kinds of experiments uh, at home, and I would drive my mom crazy. I remember one time I wanted to see what would happen if uh, you melted plastic. Um, <laughs> so I ripped, up a, ripped open a plastic uh, dish and actually lit it on fire. Oh, really? I mean, I'm terrified now to think that I did this. What was it like being a young girl studying and interested in STEM in southern India. Think, was there a um, distinction between science, boys and girls? Boys and girls, not so much in education, but engineering was considered to be. I think science was different from engineering. There were not many girls 
um, there was not much, um, I would say, encouragement, or I think there was not many women engineers. There were a lot of women and girls studying science. Um, and so I actually wanted to be a physicist. I uh, joined my undergrad degree, started off as a physics major, and switched after one year to engineering. That was unusual. And my father, actually, I have to give him a lot of credit. He really encouraged me to pursue uh, being an engineer. When I called him and said, I want to switch majors, and I think I want to be an engineer because I want to actually see how things work. So that's when I switched after the first year of college. And I went to a pretty hardcore technical school called the India Institute of Technology. Yes, um, <laughs> it's a pretty hardcore. Uh, it still is in India. It's one of the top uh, engineering and science uh, universities. And when I went, there were very, very few women at IIT. I went to the campus in New Delhi. There were five women in a class of 250. Um, so yeah, it was very intimidating. And to be honest, after the first week, I called up my family, my mom and dad, and said, I want to come home. Uh, <laughs> and what they say? Yeah, I got you know, sympathy from my mom. My mom was like, OK, if you're not happy, maybe come home. Because it was very far away from where my family was. It was at the other end of the country. And there was a different language that was spoken there. I didn't speak Hindi. I spoke a different Te language. Telugu is what you grew up speaking? I, I, yeah, I grew up speaking Telugu. And in New Delhi, the language that's most spoken is uh, Hindi. And I didn't know any Hindi. So it was almost like going to a foreign country. And it was a major city. I grew up in a small town. Um, so I think I got more love and encouragement and sympathy from my mom. I got a lot of love from my dad, but I also got tough love. He, he told me, no, you're not coming home just yet. Um, you know, you chose uh, your path, and now it's up to you to make the journey interesting. I always remember that quote, you know, I think that's something that I feel still is with me. And then you went on to Cornell. Yes. And to get a master's in chemical engineering. Correct. Yeah, I came to the US uh, to do my master's. Uh, I came with $100 and a one-way ticket. Wow. Um, that's all I had. And you know, a briefcase, actually a suitcase full of books, because books were cheaper to buy in uh, India than in the US. And actually, I came to do my PhD. My plan back then was to finish my PhD and go back and teach in India, teach at IIT, actually. That was my dream. Um, but yeah, I started working in the US and stayed here. So what was it like then transitioning into the workforce? That was uh, very interesting, because I started working in the semiconductor industry in Arizona. My first job was uh, at Motorola Semiconductor. Yeah, but Motorola was a great company back then. I learned a lot, and I uh, became a manager very early in my career. I became a leader of people, uh, which I think I naturally gravitated to. I led a team of engineers after two years and uh, decided to pursue uh, more of the management roles and leadership roles in engineering. What do you think was your defining legacy there? So I think doing the razor was amazing. It was the first device to really change the phone from just being a black object to something that had personality and a name. And it was much more personalized. And people loved the razor and was a high for the company. I worked very closely with our then CMO. We came up with the Hello Moto campaign. And it was like truly this amazing intersection of great design, amazing marketing, and amazing technology and engineering. So that was the highlight of my career. Then I think I what I frust got frustrated was the, the fact that we couldn't transition the company to move to a smart 
uh, smartphone. We had amazing, amazing technologists working on the future things. But our business model wasn't where the brand was close to consumers because we were you know, selling phones to the carriers and we were very much removed from the consumer experience. And Apple, which was a consumer company, much more close to how users uh, would like to use their devices, created the iPhone and optimized the experiences around that, which led to, I would say, the beginning of the big shift to the mobile internet. And you know, today, Motorola and Nokia are really no longer there as big brands. And so this big transition happened so quickly. Now, I want to go back to 1984, um, because that's the year that it was a big year for the Mac. It's also a year that some people point to uh, as, uh, as the start of when computers started being marketed more towards men mm -hmm. than women. And actually, the numbers of women in computer science jobs and computer science uh, courses actually started dropping. And I wonder, what was it like being a female engineer in 1984? <laughs> um, it was a rarity. I think it was one of those things where uh, I felt it was sort of a mixed, I think, mixed view. I felt an amazing, a deep kinship to other women engineers. I think to this day, I feel like it has shaped who I am as a woman leader and a woman engineering leader um, in the tech industry. And I think the other thing that it taught me, or I think it brought to light, I would say, is the fact that if you're confident, it's very important to have self-confidence. Um, people notice you, and I think these two things, um, you know, either I learned them because I had to survive very tough environments, or I learned them because um, that was the only way to work. I don't know, but it's something that I feel have been profound life lessons for yeah. me. Is it, do you think that's something that set you apart from other women who were doing it? I mean, because obviously you you survived. I can't say whether it did or didn't. Uh, it helped me. And like I said, I like to date, to date, I feel like I need to give back and I help a lot of women, especially women engineers who look for advice or who are trying to make that decision. Do I stay? How do I grow my career? Uh, what are the things I need to do? Um, for me, I didn't have a lot of that back then because there were no one who was reaching out and sharing their experiences. Um, so I wish I had that. Did you ever feel that you needed to act more like a man to be Absolutely. successful? Where I first joined the workforce, people wouldn't take me seriously because I was too, I either looked too young or was too young or, you know, I, I, I wore bright colors and, you know, I started working. I came from India. I love No, big, I've seen you wearing saris. Jewelries and yeah. saris and stuff. I love bright colors. And so I had to hide all that away for the first few years when I was working. Um, and I would wear only black and gray to work every day, and I would wear sneakers to work. I loved shoes, and I couldn't wear shoes. So all these things that I actually didn't had nothing to do with my job or what I was doing as an engineer, but it was just I was afraid to be who I was, uh, who I wanted to be, and so I absolutely did that. Actually, when I became a CTO for Motorola, I wanted people to take me more seriously. So I went to the extreme extent of making my hair I would color my hair gray just so I would look older. Can you believe really? it? Really? Now I do the opposite. But <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever feel like you were treated unfairly? I do feel people, um, people, I think, don't expect you to be competent somehow. There's always this doubt, and people are always uh, skeptical. When you know, I have had situations where I feel like people are being skeptical about my title or what I'm doing because I'm a woman, and it's it's hard to describe it. It's not it's not blatant. It's not overt, but you do sense. I did sense it. 
Is it fair for me to ask you how you balanced your work and your family life? Or is it not fair to ask you that question? So I actually think it's fair to ask anyone that question, both men and women. I think um, you know, men who have young children go through the same thing. Um, the challenge always is if you're a parent, how do you balance having a career and having a, um, a family? I actually feel like the word balance somehow suggests that everything has to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Like your home has to be perfect, your work has to be perfect. I use the word integration. You have to f be aware of the things that are important to you and figure out how you integrate the aspects that are important to you. Uh, when my son was young and I had a very busy career, actually, I was that time I was running a factory. I had operational responsibility seven by 24, and my son was, uh, was a baby, an infant, and so I would be like constantly stressed out. Um, and I learned that I needed to take time for myself. And you know, now I meditate every day. That's sort of my time for myself. I paint when I can on Saturdays and weekends. Um, so whatever it is that you feel you need to do to energize yourself and get your creative juices flowing again, you have to do that. So what's your assessment of the state of women in Silicon Valley today, whether it's big tech, VC, startups, because in many ways, there's been small progress, but in some ways we've actually gone, taken several steps yeah, back. Yeah, it's very disappointing. I think, I do feel we haven't made any progress. Um, we need to make a lot more progress. Uh, I think, you know, it's heartening to hear people talk about it now more openly. It's not so hush-hush anymore. It's okay to say that it's a problem, uh, and people are acknowledging it's a problem and figuring out what we need to do. Um, but I don't think we've seen any results yet or movement yet. Why haven't we seen progress? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I don't know. I don't know whether we're all just saying things but not really going to doing things to change. So maybe there's an opportunity for all of us to work together to figure out how we address this. Uh, I often take time out of my day to go speak at every single tech company. I've spoken at Microsoft, at Intel, at Qualcomm, uh, you know, when I was at Cisco, at Ericsson even. I think perhaps we need to really think about as an industry what are the things we need to do. You have an opportunity at Next EV to build a diverse workforce from the ground up. What are you doing to build the own, your own culture um, and a strong company yeah. from the beginning. So I've already hired my first woman engineer. <laughs> she joined uh, two days ago. Um, Congratulations. She's amazing. she's amazing. I've already had hired uh, the head of my corporate development is a woman, and uh, she's a Stanford grad, and uh, you know she joined um, three days ago. Um, so she's now, you know, on my staff and my leadership team. So I'll continue to do that. You know, I want to have a very diverse team. Uh, have more women, but I also want to have a, you know, the team I want to build, I want it to be multicultural, mm -hmm. multiple domains, and I want to attract people from the auto industry, people from non-auto industry to work together, and multi-generational, uh, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so it will be a very diverse team. Now, Next TV has a big challenge ahead. You are uh, trying to break into a market where obviously Tesla exists, but not, but GM and you know a lot of traditional auto manufacturers building electric cars. Then you have Apple and Google trying to get into this market. Uber, mm -hmm. how will Next EV stand out? It's actually good that so many companies are getting into the electric vehicle uh, market. You know, this is an old industry. You know, the auto industry is almost 100 years old, and so I think it's a it's a sign that there is a transition going to happen. And you know, you probably saw at CES there was a lot of talk about auto. It's unusual for auto companies to be talking about 
uh, innovation and development at a consumer electronics show. It sort of reminds me 10 years ago how cell phone companies were talking at the consumer electronics show. So that actually tells me that my instincts about what is the change that's going to happen in the auto space is probably clued in the right direction, right? Some companies are focused on autonomous driving completely. Some, some companies are focused on purely creating an EV that's a high-performance uh, vehicle. Our differentiation is creating a vehicle that will be more affordable, not just super expensive for a certain class of people that can own it. And how affordable is it? I, I, I've read yeah, half the cost of a Model S. Uh, more <laughs> affordable than a Tesla. So, um, I mean, is that like $50,000 We haven't disclosed the price yet, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, it will be much more affordable. And, and secondly, really to optimize, like I said, bring all of the mobile internet thinking into the vehicle. Optimize the experiences of how you would buy a car, what you would do, it, would do with it, through services that will be delivered on the mobile internet, mm -hmm. right? You know, so bringing the transition that's happening in the compute world with mobile and cloud into the fact that the vehicle is now going to be different and it will be an EV and not an internal combustion right. engine. Combining the two, that's what we are focused on. Are you going to work on autonomous driving features? Will you know next EV and self-driving cars yes, intersect? Yes, we will, but that's not the that's mm -hmm. not the central thesis to what we want to build. The Model S does have autonomous driving features. What do you think of them? Yeah, it's good. I think um, it, the autopilot. You mean? I think that's that's a great feature to have. Um, again, you know, my my own belief is that some of these advanced features over time will become. Uh, you know, standard, right? Like a few years ago, ABS and remote door entry were, you know, were, 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 were all the you know new stuff. But now most cars have that. Uh, so it's not really about one feature or one technology, but how do you optimize the experience around the car? Mm -hmm. You know, the car should know who you are, what your preferences are. It should know that I prefer to take 280 here and not 101, because every time I drive from where I live to San Francisco, that's the freeway I take. I shouldn't have to punch this in. It should know this and it should learn this. Uh, so this is all the thinking from the mobile internet space, right? So that's what we mean by optimizing the experience. So how do you, so first of all, uh, do you, like how do you see the market for self-driving cars playing out. You know, when when is this mainstream? Will my kids never have to drive themselves? I think it'll be here sooner than we think. There's now a lot of regulation battles that companies are fighting, uh, but we'll fight them and we'll get there. I think full autonomous driving. I think you know your kids will probably see that. You know, we will we will see you know very soon. So how do you see the auto industry being different? Say 20 years from now, will the big players be Google, Apple? Tesla, Next EV, <laughs> or will it be GM, Ford, Toyota? I mean, will we see a, a completely different, and I'm not saying those companies are going to disappear, but will we see a different hierarchy? Yeah, I think you'll definitely see newer players, um, you know, that will be significant players. Um, you know, it's a big industry, so it never is going to be an industry where the winner takes all. It's a $2.3 trillion industry worldwide. So I think there's actually, in addition to the cars, there's, there is the value chain itself will change, right? Um, so I think it will become more of a consumer-driven, it will be more of a consumer product than it is even today. You know, there will be other new players perhaps, and some of the old players will, will figure out how to switch themselves. So um, I normally end by asking what's next for you, but you just started your <laughs> next chapter. So I guess, you know, what, you know, what is the, what is the sort of legacy you want to, to lead at, leave at, at Next TV? You know, how do you want to be remembered? Like, how, this is your first time as a CEO. How do you want to make your mark? So for me, uh, what would be my next legacy that I want to leave is to 
change the auto experience, the vehicle experience to be much more around the user and not about the car. You know, all of the discussion today, even the questions you asked me is all about autonomous driving, self-driving car, autopilot. It's all about the car and we need to shift that discussion to users. How will users feel, you know, when you talk about your experience with your smartphone today, it's so personalized, right? Uh, so my dream, and you know, I would feel like I've done my job if I, five years from now, I come back to you and we're talking about what did I do at Next TV. We're talking about what an amazing, joyful experience it is to be in a Next TV vehicle. I would, I, I would feel like I would have shifted the perception of what the vehicle is all about. And uh, we will also be talking about hopefully 50% of women in uh, technology. In five years? In five years. That's aggressive, but I hope <laughs> it happens. Um, well, we will chat in five years for sure, but hopefully uh, many times in between. Uh, Pad Mastery Warrior, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Next week on Studio 1.0, Bill Maris, CEO of GV, formerly Google Ventures, He's best known for his quest for immortality and saying some pretty controversial things that rock the Silicon Valley boat. But that's not all there is to the story. Don't miss my interview with Maris next time.